Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Unsexy. My guest today is Cody Barbo. Cody, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Elaine. So can you tell me a little bit about how you got into uh, the space you're in? So Cody, for all of the, those who don't know him, is the CEO and co-founder of Trust and Will. So how did you get into the estate planning industry in the first place? Yeah, uh, I had the most non-traditional background to get into estate planning because I'm not an attorney and neither are my co-founders, but I got married three years ago. And right before my wife and I got married and we sat down to talk about adulting topics like finances and life insurance, uh, we talked about wills. Do you have a will? No. Do you have a will? No. And the fact that I started looking at estate planning and getting quotes for three to $5,000 on an estate plan, a process that would take anywhere from three weeks to five months, just made no sense to me. And when we started looking at online options, I was like, there's got to be someone out there doing TurboTax for estate planning. I knew that LegalZoom existed, hadn't had the best experience with them in the past. And I was like, there's got to be someone like with the innovation happening in fintech or insuretech doing this with a venture backing best in class product experience just didn't exist. So my co-founders and, and most of our team are all similar life stage in our 30s, married, having kids. And the fact that there wasn't a product out there for us, it just was kind of our call to action. And when we started looking at the size of this industry, not just how much money is made, but how many people don't even have an estate plan, 150 million people, half the population. And then the half that does has a set of documents that are severely out of date. And if you have an out of date set of documents, or if you can't find them, it can make probate a nightmare. It can make the estate settlement process a big deal. And we just felt that we could do it with our backgrounds better than anyone else. And that's what we've been doing for two and a half years now. So can you actually go into the nuances of what happens if I pass away and I don't have any kind of estate plan? What happens then? Yeah. So dying intestate, um, it can, it can be fairly painless if you don't have a lot of assets. So California is the state with the highest threshold. I think it's 160,000. Um, attorney or attorney could validate that, but I believe it's 160,000. So if you have under that in assets, you don't have to go to probate. You usually can settle, um, fairly easily unless there's uh, some contested items, but Almost everyone who has property, even if it's a condo in the state of California, you're going to be above that. So you need to go through probate and the process can take up to two years or longer, especially in populous states like California, Texas, New York. Probate is notorious for being a nightmare experience. The time involved, the cost involved, $20,000, $30,000 or more in terms of money that's going to your attorney fees or to the government that should be in the hands of families. And if you don't have an estate plan or if it's an out-of-date estate plan, it's very unfortunate that family members will come out of the woodworks or a caregiver will come out of the woodworks and say that they're entitled to something, whether it's the home, a financial account, a family heirloom can be a contested item. And it's just very unfortunate that a lot of people, usually skews older, that are dealing with an aging parent, uh, have a really poor experience with probate. Whereas with a trust, which you don't necessarily have to be very wealthy to have a trust. With us, you can set one up. If you have a couple hundred thousand in assets, you own a home, but a trust avoids probate. And that's where a lot of wealthy people, that's why it has this kind of wealth connotation to it, choose the route of a trust. And there's a ton of varieties of trusts that we can unpack if needed. But the whole goal is to, how do we streamline this process? Our members at Trustmall, we want them to not only create their estate plan, but always have an up-to-date estate plan so that when the time eventually comes, that it's a fairly seamless transaction. And I can unpack what our longer term vision is beyond that. But as it is today, probate sucks. Education is the biggest barrier, and we try and make it easy and informative as you go through our process. So what are um, can you actually unpack the different types of estate planning that both you offer and exist? So things like uh, trust, a will, guardianship, what do each of these mean? What are the nuances? 
Yeah. So an estate plan is kind of an overarching theme, right? When you think of an estate plan or you think of a will or a trust or guardianship, they're all components. It's a set of documents that makes up what happens to you and your life and the decisions you want to make when you are either incapacitated or when you pass. So what most people know is a will through family or pop culture. That Knives Out movie was based on a will and did quite awesome in the, the box office. But basically, you're going through the process. You're cataloging who's going to look after your kids, who gets your stuff home, financial accounts, business interest. Uh, do you want to leave gift to charity or to your college endowment? The living will, meaning the health directives, who can make decisions on your behalf if you're incapacitated or who can access your records, both medical and financial records, all the way through final arrangements. Do you want to be buried, cremated, uh, sustainable burial or cremation, which a lot of people are now choosing to kind of have a carbon neutral footprint as they leave the earth. They get reborn as a tree or uh, they get turned into a diamond. There's a Shark Tank company doing that called Eternova. Or some people with lots of money are shooting their ashes into space for whatever reason. That's I saw like, that. I thought that was so, so clever. <laughs> so it's such an Elon Musk thing to do. Uh, but people, it's your choice. If you set money aside, you can do basically what you want. I like that component because I think they also have a, a accompanying app that will tell you when your loved one is directly overhead. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty wild. We had a guy, uh, I'm, I share it publicly because he shared it on social media, but he said he like legitimately set aside money for his casket to be dipped in the maker's mark, red wax. And then <laughs> all of his friends, as he gets lowered into the earth to have a toast with maker's mark. And I thought that was super cool. A lot of people get really uh, descriptive on the uh, final wishes where they want to talk about how do they want to be remembered? What is the song? The song choice is actually really, really interesting to see what people choose. It's not like a Spotify playlist we made, but that's, it'd be interesting. Um, but it's, it's these very intimate details about your life and cataloging your assets and what you want to have happen to them. And you aren't doing it for yourself because you're going to be dead. You're doing it for your family. You're doing it as a selfless act. And with most attorneys, they would recommend you towards a trust one because it's worth their time. That's where they make their money. Some attorneys will do a will, but usually they charge you a lot for it, $800,000 and up. And we've kind of unbundled the estate plan. So you have kind of these a la carte options. You come to trustimall.com, you take a quick quiz, like, do you have kids? Do you own a home? Do you have a couple hundred thousand in assets? Do you have gifts that you would like to leave to charity or family heirlooms you'd like to give? away. You want to make health decisions uh, on your behalf for someone else to make if needed. And we have three products. We have a product called Guardian. It's $59. Really for the first time parent, it's a nomination of Guardian form. So who looks after your kids rather than the courts deciding? And then you can upgrade to our will package, last will and testament, power of attorney, healthcare directives. That's uh, We both have single and couples packages at $159. And that's what most people will start at since they kind of know the concept of a will. And then the trust package is really, again, it's geared towards more of the homeowner or the wealth builder. Some people either know they need a trust or they're hearing it from their financial advisor or uh, family member. And we see pretty even traffic split between the will and the trust. Guardian's more of our, our top of funnel product, but you can upgrade easily from each as you go through the process. It's interesting because when, you, <clears throat> excuse me, when you think about a lot of other types of legal documents, there's a clear point in time when you have to complete it. So you have a birth certificate, you have a marriage license, you have a death certificate. But things like a will, like a trust, even I mean, guardianship to me also has a place in time. I'm kind of surprised that doesn't exist when you take your baby home from the hospital. But yeah. 
What do you think about kind of creating, you mentioned education before, which I can imagine is the hardest piece of this. How do you find the right point in time in somebody's life where they should be thinking about this? Yeah, kids, kids are the number one reason. Uh, When we first started the company, most of our friends entering their 30s that were married, those that had kids, there was an actual like urgency or almost a fear. I don't have this. And that anxiety for any parent with minor children when they're getting on a plane without them, for they're traveling for business or they're going on a trip without them for the first time. That is the triggering event. And it's why a lot of states accept what's called the holographic will, which is like, don't do this, by the way, but it's like you write it down on a piece of paper, you sign it and you leave it on your nightstand. And if God forbid something happens to you, there are a good chunk of states that accept it, although it's not recommended. Please don't do it. Uh, Go to an attorney or or go to trust him. But that's crazy, right? Because estate planning is all about intent. And when you have a kid, you're hopefully the first time in your life, self not selfish, you're selfless, and you're doing this for them the same way that you'd think about life insurance or appointing people as beneficiaries. And you look at the second most common reason is purchase of a home. For most American families, it's the largest asset they'll ever own. It's the largest financial transaction of their life. That is an asset that's worth protecting, both cataloging it in the will or placing the home in the trust to avoid probate entirely. And then the common, there's dozens of triggering events throughout your lifetime. You get married, you have a kid, you have another kid, you move states, you have a liquidity event, you have an inheritance trigger. There's all these events that you're going in, uh, you get divorced, you have a big surgery coming up. All these events should be accounted for. And because estate planning has always been offline, people just forget to do this or they don't have their attorney proactively reaching out to update their documents unless they're really high-end attorney that does an annual check-in. So for us, because we're tech-based, we're online, you can literally, after a year from creating your estate plan with us, we check in with you, did any of these things happen? And for our small subscription of $12 a year, you make the necessary change and you're good to go. You actually just answered my next question because it also feels very unique to this space that these are documents that are intended to be updated over time, as opposed to a clear point in time where something is stamped. Um, is the recommendation annually is what, how, how frequently you update? It's, it's more based on life events. If a year passes and nothing major changes, you don't have to update the document. If two years passes and still nothing, that's okay. It, you know, Three years, you have go from getting married to having a kid and now you're updating it. That's a fantastic time to make the appropriate update. And what we're trying to think through too, since we have so much data, there's so much open source data, is actually being proactive that if we can analyze when a triggering event's happening, say Zillow, you purchase a home on Zillow or we see a change of ownership, that that's the transaction point that we do an email drip to the customer saying, hey, update your estate plan with your new home and to make sure that you swap it in and out of the trust, stuff like that. Um, And even age-based triggers too. That's super clever, uh, especially with the home ownership because those records are public. Are you able to actually figure out who the purchaser was from something like Zillow? Yeah, not today. I mean, we have like Q4. If I had my engineers on the call, this would be like an entire podcast in its own. But like we can get super geeky on some of the technical infrastructure that we're going to look into for Q4 and beyond. Things like identity verification, audit trails of our documents, asset ownership from everything you own, creating that that digital thumbprint to everything, even to the family heirloom. Because we're not just trying to build the TurboTax for estate planning, although that's how most consumers think of us. We are already moving into estate management. We have a product with uh, financial advisors that we help onboard their customers or their clients into our experience. We're also moving towards estate management much deeper next year. That'll be kind of the thesis for our Series B fundraise. And eventually, long term, our vision is to facilitate an end-to-end digital transfer of wealth 
through our platform, launching or partnering on probate services, on professional fiduciary and trustee services. So better than, I'd say, TurboTax, the comparable that we like to talk about is Carta. Carta didn't go set out to build the best-in-class cap table management software. They're trying to unlock the $1 trillion in private market liquidity on their platform because you have your investors and LPs and employees, bookkeepers, uh, corporate counsel on there, everybody with different levels of access. So if we can bring the key service professionals into the trust and wealth ecosystem by working with best-in-class institutions on finance, tax, insurance, and we're bringing in the key people that have an active role, we hopefully keep those customers not just through life, but even the afterlife. I don't know if there's an afterlife value equation in venture, but like that's really how we think about it. And that's where we see the most opportunities to control the entire timeline from creation through management into settlement distribution. I got a perfect piece of content for you to write is the after lifetime value. That would just be amazing. <laughs> it Love doesn't it. exist. Yeah, it doesn't exist. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Um, have you, I'm curious, have you ever spoken with realtors and is that a channel because, you know, I can see a way where you do both the automated fashion of figuring out who the homeowner is, but why, why not partner with the providers there? Yeah, we had some early conversations with folks in real estate. I think that there's there's definitely something there where we think the better opportunity is to look at some like the title insurance tech companies or digital closing platforms where can we transact the home directly into the trust at the time of purchase, that it's an add-on to but what um, I don't know what platforms are most common to Signify or others that are listening in. But if you think of like States Title or Spruce or uh, what is it, o- Open Door? Open Door is one example. Better Mortgage. You know, could we build an API into their platforms? So you create, if you have a trust created already, you literally transact the home into it right into our platform. Uh, so I think automation on the digital closing side is really interesting, but working with the networks of realtors out there, I think there's some potential. We just haven't explored it really deep yet. Yeah, it seems like an interesting, just the way that real estate is done today. I mean, we'll see it, it's changing, but typically there is the firm, like the brokerage firm, and then you have these little individual people who still get their shared resources from the brokerage. So if you can kind of penetrate those. Everybody's looking to level up with technology. I mean, that's why our entry point on kind of the people like B2C was with financial advisors. Like we built a product for financial advisors who work with clients who are already talking to them about their finances, insurance, taxes, and estate planning needs. We were just the first digital offering from an estate planning perspective to present to advisors to then pass on to their clients. So the same can be done with CPAs, insurance professionals, folks in real estate and other other categories, healthcare with EHR integrations around living will and health directives. There's a lot of opportunity to explore these different business units. And that's where we'll start to head as we mature as a company. It seems like anything touching legal has been very slow moving to adopt tech, to move to, you know, from pen and paper to digital platforms. Are you seeing that start to shift now? And outside of estate planning, what other areas of legal documents are you seeing shift digitally? Yeah, so the the biggest shift in legal has been uh, digital signatures. So the e-sign day was yesterday, it's like 20 years of the ability to sign electronically. If you think back, uh, you know, from faxes originally, but like the internet, like the internet wasn't a thing, you know, really 20 years ago, uh, which is funny because one of our investors is Steve Case Revolution who created America Online and like where they're at uh, from a <laughs> recognition standpoint. But digital signatures were kind of the first piece because it is applicable to every industry, uh, but the laws had to change to accommodate for digital signatures. Where we see a major shift, a seismic shift is probably more appropriate is what the work of Notarize is doing for remote online notary. They have activated, I don't know, a dozen or more states over the last year and a half by going in and taking a really quality approach to how to work with 
state regulators, how to work with companies, having boots on the ground, rather than stepping on people's toes and pissing people off to prevent this innovation from happening. But the way that we think about it is the pandemic was the ultimate case study for why there needs to be innovation with digital signatures and digital execution of all documents, let alone legal documents, let alone our state planning documents, which is that with home, stay-at-home orders, with social distancing requirements, when the pandemic first unfolded, we saw this surge in our site traffic, our user signups, but we still have to deal with the legacy component of in-paper documents with sweat signatures, in-person notaries, and uh, witnesses. And people are like, what, what am I supposed to do? The banks are still open. UPS stores are still open that usually have notary services, but people didn't want to do that. So, or have a mobile notary come to their house. So we've been really fortunate. We've worked with Notarize. We actually completed the first electronic will in U.S. history last year in the state of Nevada. So digital signature, digital notary, digital storage of documents. And they are our formal notary partner. And this month, we're going to be rolling out several more states, Florida, Arizona, Indiana, And then we're working with two progressive groups. One is called the Uniform Law Commission, uh, their drafting committee for electronic wills. We helped get the E-Will Act passed in October of last year. That'll kind of pave the way for a potential uniform law and national rollout. And then we work with the uh, Electronic Signatures and Records Association, or ESRA, on their public policy committee and have put our support on a couple state bills that are moving in the right direction. So our, our hope is that with partnership with these groups, with other big companies like DocuSign, even shout out to LegalZoom, Notarize for all the work that they're doing to kind of pave the way for us to kind of ride the wave with them. We're just this kind of small estate planning startup down here in San Diego making a ton of noise because we're the only one that cares is actually bringing products to market to follow these law changes as they happen. So there's a lot of innovation that happens. And beyond the just obvious that it needs to take place is the, the inclusiveness of the changing laws that you can be anywhere in a rural area in a big city and digitally execute, sign these documents from the comfort of your own home, rather than that being another barrier to have to get not just the documents complete, but legally executed. You can do it all digitally. Yeah, it's been interesting to see how much this has been an accelerant of all the things that really we are way past the time when it should have moved online, whether yeah. it's telehealth, you know, e-notary, things like that. Um, curious, what is the differences in terms of how this is done state by state? I'm assuming based on what you were saying that this isn't something that's governed uh, nationally and, yeah, and state consistently. By state. Yeah, state by I'm, state. Yep. And you have to, you have to deal with the state bar association. So you have, I mean, you have people that have been in their careers for 40 or 50 years that have just very strong beliefs of this is how the system is. This is how we do things. And that's where we don't want to step on anybody's toes. That's why we're getting involved in these organizations. Just one of many that are in the ULC, Ezra, and uh, kind of boots on the ground with uh, with regulators and lobbyists. And how do we take a very thoughtful approach to showcasing truly the quality of our work, our product, our customer experience to say, hey, look, we're not, we're not cutting into the bottom line of any attorneys. They're serving high net worth clients. We've built a product for the everyday American family. And if we want to lift them up, we look at what we're doing as kind of a financial inclusion program. So the way that we can change the laws to better serve a digital experience, which we think is far more secure, far more transparent than going offline. I find it comical that people push back on that because it's just inevitable that this is going to go digital at some point. It's like, no question. Yeah. So that's my rant. Sorry. (laughs) Well, so, okay. Walk me through what would happen if let's just say I, buy my very first house in California. I then keep it and move to Indiana and raise my kids there. You know, I'm there for 20 years and then I go and retire in Florida. How, 
I guess, how do I have to deal with my estate planning in different states? And then I guess over time like that. Yeah. So the, the, asset, the, the nice thing is that all the assets are here in the U.S. We allow you to accommodate for international assets because we do have a lot of customers that have properties in Canada or Mexico and you can catalog it, but it falls under their laws and jurisdiction. But the most important thing is that you're updating the estate plan based on your state of residency. You can have assets in other states as many people do. So the most important thing is that you're updating where you're at so that the final documents or the most recent version of the documents fall within the state that you might die in which is mm-hmm. morbid, but just, you know, everybody dies. Uh, everybody dies. Yeah, that's that's why we try and make it easy updates. So with a will, it's pretty straightforward. If you're updating your will, you basically are replacing it with every new one once it's executed with the trust. We do trust restatements, at least for people who are coming from outside of our ecosystem. Updating your trust within trust mills is fairly straightforward um, from just a technology perspective. But we do trust restatements. So it's, think of it like uh, importing your trust into the trust mill format. We add some additional paperwork and documentation on top of it. You still have to execute it with us. That's available nationwide as well. How painful is it to go from essentially one copy of a will to another based on state? Paint, relatively painless. I mean, you're if you just are moving states and everything else changes the same, that's the only thing you need to change. Because um, you're not, we're not, you know, even an attorney, if you go with an attorney, they're not making you read through line by line the documents, although you should. We encourage it. And our documents are fantastic. Uh, built by our in-house trust and states attorneys, been doing that for 10 years. But it's just going to be a reflective change in language. So like uh, an example of like Louisiana was one of the last states that we rolled out because there's a lot of kind of like French Creole language that means the same thing as language that's common practice in most states, estate planning documents. I'm like trying to pull, I'm not going to make it up on the spot. This is for our attorney, Patrick. But I remember when he was telling us this, I was like, what word? It's like gibberish. You're like, what word is this? And he's like, oh, it's just Louisiana, you know, just jargon. And this is this is what we have to do. And I was like, okay, well, I, you know, I trust you. You did your research on this. Um, that's a, a weird example, but true. Yeah. It's always interesting to see the nuances and the holdouts of different parts of either states or, you know, counties or things like that. Yeah. And and just for, for the listeners, so, you know, Trust Mall, we are live nationwide, all of our documents are state specific. It is a self-service platform, but we have live chat support. We have phone support, but something that is new that we offer in California that we will bring to more states is an attorney review and consultation. So if you're a California resident, for an, it's like a TurboTax Live, but for an additional charge, you get client attorney privilege, you get a real trust in the state's attorney assigned to your account who can talk through advanced planning, tax implications, the funding of the trust, and you have unlimited support for the year for that price. And we see that for not just our more like affluent members, like north of 3 million in assets and up, but really just for people that want to pay for peace of mind. And it's still not that expensive to going through the traditional attorney route of like three to five grand. It's 200 bucks more with trust And that's something that we, we plan to bring to more states to give people that peace of mind option. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I find that a lot of times people use the uh, TurboTax human element simply for that of like, I think I did this right, but I don't know. Just tell me I did it right. No, we never, I mean, we never want people to have that doubt. Like our to our biggest barrier is education. Our most important benchmark of success is building trust that people feel not only that they have peace of mind, but they trust the documents and that they can come back at any time to make updates and edits. And that our team is, I mean, we have uh, you know, almost a thousand reviews, 4.9 out of five stars on Trustpilot. That is our benchmark for success. You chat with our team, we're going to respond with you. You book a phone call, we're going to have that call with you. If you're a California resident, you can chat with our attorney. And I, some brands choose to be slow to respond. And for us, it's a company-wide goal 
to be quick and responsive, respond to every message on social, email, chat, and more. On that education piece, what are you finding is working best in terms of educating customers? And I guess, how early are you trying to get people educated? Are you trying to educate them before they have a house and before they're married or at the point of a life event? A little bit, a little bit of both. Um, we, I mean, our, I could pour ahead of marketing in to go super deep on on kind of our initiatives there. But in, in, in its simple form, our Learn Center is kind of like a state planning 101. We are educating people from the moment they hit the site we have, as you go through the product and FAQ is persistent through the bottom. So it clicks up and it explains everything. What is a trustee? What is an executor? Things that people may not have ever heard or thought about before. What is a contingent beneficiary? And on top of that, you can have that live chat support available to you with our team all here in San Diego. We're not outsourcing or offshoring any of that. And in addition to that, one thing that people forget is that you're naming people in these documents that have a pretty active role when things, when you pass, when things happen. So we've built out a My People section. So if you're a trustee, executor, guardian, et cetera, you have the ability to notify those loved ones. And they're not only being notified of the role that they serve, but we pull in content from the Learn Center to educate, it, um, educate them on what it means to serve in that role. So there's a longer tail uh, thought that you probably picked up on earlier where we do want to build services around probate, professional fiduciary and trustee services that just support people that are going through the transition of assets as well. What about all the digital accounts and assets that people have? I know this has been a huge pain point I've heard mentioned over and over is now that we have so many digital accounts, when somebody dies, all of a sudden, they may still have 40 active accounts. And I'm not sure who's on the hook to deal with that or whether that even comes into estate planning. But how are you guys thinking about that piece? I love that you're bringing this up. So we account for digital executors. So if you think when we started the company, it was fall of 17. Crypto was still on like a rocket ship and hadn't popped. So we're like, oh, man, people have Bitcoin and crypto. Like we actually have Coinbase still, I think, as one of the, the main financial accounts on the asset section. But we're like, OK, crypto is an asset. Your social media is an asset. Your photos, your Google photos or iCloud photos are an asset. Um, and your email too, like what happens to your email, all your usernames and passwords. So accommodated for a digital executor in the documents, we think there's a, a much more integrated uh, partnership. Maybe if it's through like a one password, last pass or iCloud keychain, if there's some sort of integration that we can do, uh, with some of the major players where once the transaction happens, it's basically a dead man switch where we can hand over the access to the digital accounts, but we don't have that quite built out yet. But there was a, a uniform law that was passed, I believe it was 2015, called RUFADA, which is just a fancy acronym for digital assets. What happens to digital assets? Can you go to Google? Can you go to Apple? Can you go to Facebook and take owner, ownership of a deceased family member's account? Because people still really, until a platform like Trustamol or some more modern estate planning attorneys, didn't account for the what. What do you want to have happen to your Facebook? Do you want it to be memorialized, which they have that feature? Do you want it to be shut down? Do you want all of your photos to be deleted from existence so your parents don't see your college photos? You know, stuff, <laughs> stuff, funny stuff like that. But uh, it, it really is uh, fascinating. There's, I think, a small team at Facebook dedicated to that. If you go deep into their settings, there's a legacy setting. So you actually appoint people to gain, they have to like turn the digital keys basically to gain access to your account. Uh, Gmail has a legacy setting where I think if it's three months of inactivity, you've appointed two people that can turn the digital key to gain access and ownership of your account. But it's crazy when that uniform law passed, not all states adopted it, which to me was, I was like, what the heck? It's like 30 something states that uh, adopted the uniform law and then the others who are just like shit out of luck. I don't, know if, I don't know if I'm allowed to curse on your podcast, but your SOL uh, for, for some states. 
And I just find that ridiculous. Like digital assets don't necessarily have that monetary value, but they have a deep emotional value that's sometimes really hard to communicate. And we want to encourage people on what their intentions are to have happen to those assets. And what's amazing now too about this rise of the creator economy and having the number one thing that people in Gen Z, uh, when you ask them what they want to be when they grow up, is a YouTube star, TikTok star, I mean, shit you not. And it just shows how there is this dramatic shift in terms of the value that digital assets or digital presence will actually have in the future. So interesting that you're thinking about it already. Yeah, That's a fascinating content series as well as if you think of some of the younger celebrities that have passed, like I think of the DJ Avicii or Mac Miller, thinking through, I mean, did they have an estate plan? Like the same way that Aretha Franklin and Prince and um, uh, a couple other big, big artists, but older that passed without an estate plan, how they're being contested five, 10, 15 years later. James Brown is the one I'm thinking of. Mm -hmm. What happened to Avicii or Mac Miller? Just, you know, rest in peace to those guys. But what happens to their music, their social media presence? Who takes ownership of that? And how, if it's monetized still, how does, how do those assets flow to family or loved ones? So it's just shocking to me that in 2020, it is still not a requirement to have essentially governing assets around that or, you know, governing documents around that. It, um, I mean, just even hearing you talk about those examples, I can't even imagine how complicated that would be in probate court, let alone like, it just seems like silly that you can't marry somebody without having a marriage license, but you can, you know, go through your adulthood without having documents around what happens when you die. Cause as you said, everyone dies. Yeah. I think that for, as we start to, our demographic starts to mature into politics and and having decision-making authority, I think, I mean, we're like the hybrid digital generation. We're like, we grew up with a lot of analog content. Like I still remember answering the phone through high school, like, hello, is it the Barbara residence? Like having a notepad, like being very cordial, like I was the customer support for home, (laughs) (laughs) but the switch to digital and like with Gen Z, their whole lives have been digital. And like, when I, I don't know what my daughter's generation is, whatever post Gen Z alpha does it go start over? Apparently. Yeah. And like the fact I, like if I show her any physical media, she'll be like, what, what is this? Like, what do you do with this? The same way that I think a lot of younger kids uh, still question it today. So I'm fascinated but uh, the future will will naturally progress to accommodating all these digital assets. Well, I guess speaking of kind of future, more the future getting sped up, you know, we're in the middle of the first global pandemic that our, you know, anybody alive today has dealt with. And I would imagine that this is really forcing people to think about their own mortality and what, you know, whether it's, you know, what happens with their children or their assets or things like that. So how has COVID-19 shifted your business? And I guess um, both interest and just how you guys have been able to, you know, deal with some of the the emotional qualms of people right now. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it confirmed that we're a painkiller, not a vitamin. We saw our, our site traffic just rocketed uh, mid-March and maintained basically through the last couple of weeks here until kind of the protests started unfolding because, we saw, I mean, every, everything changed on social media last month with George Floyd's death. And, you know, the first, I'd say month and a half, two months of the pandemic, people were like legit scared. Like no one knew what was happening. The government wasn't communicating what to do. It was basically just like stay at home, keep as light of a footprint outdoors as possible. And people were really scared. So if for us, it was business as usual, you know, the way I think about it, we as a team, it's selling umbrellas in the rain versus a sunny day. It was business as usual. In terms of our customer support, our product, we didn't change prices to take advantage of it. And we just wanted to be there for people, be very intentional about the words we were using on our chat support. So 
the bigger piece that was scary was the execution side. Well, I have these documents, but they're, I was like, they're not signed. They're not notarized. They're not executed. So what do we do? So we put up a COVID resource page in terms of some short-term stop gaps until the states started to reopen. And we saw online search, the search for online was rocketed because a lot of attorneys, estate planning attorneys, their clients were coming back to them in droves to update their documents. So they were pushing out new client consultations, three, four months. That's like the fall, basically. And people are like, I need this now. This isn't like a, I'll get around to it. And what was interesting from a user perspective is when somebody registered, their time to complete and pay was like within the hour versus wow. like a typical day, they might finish the end of the day or they'll get back to it this weekend or like end of month. And we, we do a great job retargeting and converting them to paid. So that that's, you know, not out of the ordinary for us, but we just saw this like really quick register, complete pay time. And it was, uh, it was fun, but it was also like, we were like, well, what happens after this pandemic ends, which we're, I feel like kind of we're in this, it's still here. It, we dipped, numbers went down and now they're going back up again. And we're seeing our business follow that weird trend line uh, in terms of site traffic and, and conversion. It definitely feels like we're experiencing the real world hurricane where we kind of had this like insane tumult. And now we're like in this mellow period where you're like, it's like the eye of the storm. Everything stops. It's still, you're like, Oh, we can go out. And then just exactly like, we'll show you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Get back in your place. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Very interesting. Well, uh, the last question I always like to ask is, is there a piece of informa- uh, advice either in your personal life or your business life that you've been given that really sticks with you and you kind of hold? Get comfortable being uncomfortable, which I, I think is a Navy SEAL quote, but I've, I've been an entrepreneur for almost a decade. So third company, second venture back business. And I obviously, I never thought I'd be doing estate planning the same way that I didn't think I'd be in hospitality tech with my last company, the same way I didn't think I'd be doing a social app in my first startup venture. But what has been the kind of silver lining, especially with the last, these last two businesses is being able to help people with last businesses, helping service and hospitality professionals succeed and advance in their careers. And with trust and all, it is helping families protect their legacy. And the reason why I use that get comfortable being uncomfortable quote is you're, you're starting a business, you're entering an industry, you know, nothing about you're exploring it for the first time. You're building a team, you're pitching investors, you're pitching partners, you're trying to acquire customers, you're trying to build trust, brand equity, all these moving parts. And if you're not comfortable with that vulnerability as you go through this journey, you're not going to succeed. And on top of that, just a, a relentless optimism uh, as a founder, um, you know, every founder is a little bit different, but if you can't have fun and be forever optimistic about the business that you're in, you're not meant to be an entrepreneur and, and that's okay. Not everybody has to be an entrepreneur, but I've, I've really like kind of let that quote drive me for the last decade. And uh, it's, it's been fun to share. I think it's important advice and it's something that everyone is having to try to figure out how to deal with right now. Everyone's Everyone's uncomfortable in some way, shape, or form. So it's very, very timely. Well, Cody, thank you so much for joining us today. And also all the listeners out there, if you do not have a will or a trust or you need to update it, go to trustandwill.com and get it done right now. Yeah. Thanks, Lane.